This is the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. We are a church passionate about encountering Jesus and sharing his love with our city. To find out more about who we are, visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk. So, yeah, I feel like there's been lots of things, kind of little words that have been shared this morning. The word healing's come up. Um, young people, particularly, and kids. Um, when um, we, we had turned our, our attention there to, to Palestine and Israel for a few minutes, um, and just that reminder of Jesus walking those streets. Um, yeah, I just, I was really drawn when we were praying earlier. I didn't plan to sort of share this at the beginning, so bear with me. Um, when we were praying this morning, I didn't share this as we prayed, but I had a picture. I love this time of year. Um, I love the colors, especially on a day like this. Um, but I, God kind of gave me a picture of a tree. Obviously, at this time of year, lots of the leaves fall off. Um, and it's that representation of what's dead is then going to be restored. But it was actually in that moment, the picture that I got was, yes, of a big, strong tree and the trunk, but it was actually of what's happening under the ground and the roots and the depth. And as we were worshipping, um, about six months ago, a good friend of mine shared what mycelium is. I am not a bi- biologist. I don't really understand this, so forgive me, okay? But mycelium is basically a product um, that helps to ensure fungi can grow under the ground. Simply put, it is like a big plate of spaghetti, but underground. Um, but when we were worshiping, I just looked it up because it says mycelium is nature's biggest recycler. It breaks down toxins such as plastic or oil, turning them into available nourishment to help other living organisms thrive. And I just felt like God was saying, that's my picture, that's my heart for the church, the church globally, the church here for us this morning, that we are mycelium. We are meant to be breaking down toxins. We are meant to be a people who are taking light, hope, truth, healing, restoration to all living organisms around us, regardless of whether they look like us or they don't, (laughs) regardless of whether they're people that we find it easy to get on with or not. And I guess just at the very beginning of this morning, I just want to, my name's Joe. I've been coming um, to Sterling Vineyard for over a year. Um, my background is as a teacher and my mum to three kids. Um, and I definitely do not stand here this morning as someone who has it all together. Um, and I definitely don't stand here this morning as someone who has a mum <laughs> parents perfectly, okay? So just want to put that out there this morning. But I just feel like that sense of can we hold that notion of being called to be mycelium this morning um, as, we, as I kind of share with you. Um, I work for an organization called Transforming Lives for Good TLG. And I'm going to share a little bit about how you can get involved this morning. Um, But I really hope this morning that you have a sense of a renewal of your purpose, 
Katie talked about loneliness. Statistics coming out for Gen Z say that they are the loneliest generation. It's actually quite worrying. It's at epidemic proportions. But we as the church, we as that mycelium, can be countercultural. We can bring something different. So we're going to think this morning about salt and light. Um, the slides are going to come up, which is great. Thanks, guys. We're going to look at Matthew 5, 13 to 16. These are not verses that you that are new to you. <laughs> You're going to have heard them before. Um, but hopefully this morning they just kind of serve as a little bit of a reminder. The first slide that I'm going to show you just now is um, from a docufilm. It should, it's not very clear, sorry. So in August, um, on my recommendations on Netflix, it came up with this, um, The Deepest Breath. Um, docu-film. I love a good docu-film. Um, and this, I dived literally in to watch this. My um, husband and my eldest were in the room as well, and they were like, Mom, this isn't going to end well. Why are you watching this film? <laughs> okay. Like, you know, but it just, it just really captured my attention. This picture is taken from one part of the film, and it's um, off the coast of Egypt. It's in a place called the Blue Hole Arch. Um, I love the sea. I do a bit of open water swimming. Um, and if anybody wants to join, feel free. Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, um, up at the reservoir. <laughs> um, feel free to join. It's not an exclusive club. But the sea fascinates me, but it also scares me. Um, I, my son is a bit of a maniac and he will happily jump off high things and, and take risks. But I didn't realize until quite recently how nervous he can be on open water. Not because he like thinks he's going to drown or anything, but because he's like, there's so much under me that I don't know what's there. I don't know the depths. So in this film, The the Deepest Breath, it centers around the sport of free diving, that sense of pushing boundaries. And it follows the lives of two prominent athletes in this extreme sport, an Irishman called Stephen Keenan and an Italian called Alessia Zucchini. I am going to ruin this, so disclaimer, if you haven't watched this or you plan to, I am going to um, give you away the, the spoiler. It's based on real events. And the film explores how the lives of Stephen and Alessia became intertwined. How they met on a dive when she was trying to break a world record. How he had used his skills and training techniques as a safety diver to help her achieve her goals. How she then came to dive with him in Egypt so she could train to dive through the Blue Hole Arch. Like any good film? There is a love story woven through. Stephen and Alessia's connection went beyond freediving and they fell in love. But this image remains one of the standout moments for me. It captures the moment during that dive that Alessia did in the Blue Hole Arch when Stephen rescued her and pushed her to safety. So I don't know if you can kind of see that he's sort of under her, pushing her towards the light. At a number of points in the film, you're given an insight into how dark it is the deeper you go beneath the surface of the ocean. But at this point, we can see that juxtaposition of the darkness and light. He's sacrificially pushing her towards the light. At this point, she'd actually become disorientated. 
Kenny put aside his own safety, dived in to ensure hers. You can probably guess where this is going. He gave his life for her. It mirrors the greatest love story that's ever been told. How Jesus gave his life for us. And despite the tragedy of Stephen losing his life, it's this notion of light and Stephen's pushing, or maybe we could use the word directing instead, Alessia, towards it, that I want us to hold in our minds as we go through this morning. That notion of being that mycelium, that power for restoration, and good and removing toxins and darkness. Let's read Matthew 5 um, together. It'll come up on the screen, um, but feel free to follow in your own Bibles or on your your phones. Um, I love how our phone apps give us the ability to look at it in lots of different translations as well. I'm going to share it in New Living Translation and in the message as well. So it says in New Living, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And let's just read it in the message as well. You'll notice that I've underlined some phrases as we go. You are. That sense of directives. It's not an option. And it says in the message, let me tell you why you are here. For anyone who feels that purposelessness this morning, Jesus says this to us. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. In both of those translations, as I've said, The wording is directive. It's not an option. We can't just choose to say, yep, I believe that Jesus came, that he's died for me, that he came to life again, and I have a new life and a hope in him. And that's where it ends. Being salt and light are part of the outworking of who we are in Christ. Jesus would have been speaking to the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount, because Matthew 5 obviously is all through um, the Sermon on the Mount, and this comes just after the Beatitudes. The people would have been really familiar with those um, images of salt and light. But just as Jesus was saying to those hundreds of people who would have been gathered listening to him, he's saying to us today that we're to be people who make things better and brighter for others. 
We're to be people who have a positive influence on others. See it as being positive change agents. I know we all have days when we don't feel like that. We don't really want to have to be that better and brighter influence for others. I know as a mum, there are definitely times when I am not that positive change agent for my kids at home as I am squealing for them to get out of their beds and get ready for school. But it's who we are all of the time. Whether we are saying or speaking to others or whether we are just living our lives in front of them. All of the time. In Jesus' day, salt and light would have been critical elements to make life more livable, more fully complete. I think how we view salt and light today would have been a little bit different to those listening to the words of Jesus um, in that moment, all those kind of years ago. We still view salt as something which can enhance the flavor of a meal. It draws out the natural flavors. But I think we're also conscious today of not using too much because too much salt in our diets can be problematic. Salt's also useful on our roads, especially the time of year that we're coming into during those icy conditions. So it's a purpose. It has a purpose today for us. But in Jesus's time, salt was an essential commodity. In Hebrew society, during both Old and New Testament times, salt was needed for a whole variety of reasons. It was a preservative. It was a seasoning. It was a disinfectant used in the purification for ceremonial offerings. It was a unit of exchange, and it signified permanence and loyalty. In 2 Chronicles 13.5, it says, Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? Those words in 2 Chronicles highlight that in ancient Israel, salt was a sign of friendship and loyalty. I'm pretty sure if I rocked up to a friend's house with a big bag of salt, they're probably not going to receive it that well. <laughs> Just as salt was used as a preservative to make things last longer, when we say covenant of salt, it means that the covenant or the promise is perpetual. It's ongoing. It's not to be broken. Just as how salt ensures things last. I think it's quite a beautiful image, actually. Today, when it comes to light, we are rightly focused on minimizing our cons consumption of light energy. Um, we might use energy-efficient bulbs. We might turn lights off when we aren't in a room. Maybe we're constantly reminding our children or ourselves to turn lights off as we go in and out of rooms. Light today is something we can access literally at the flick of a switch. It's something that we don't want to overuse anymore. But in Jesus' day, the crowd he was speaking to would have recognized that light was something incredibly precious. It was needed as soon as the sun disappeared. The people would have used precious fuels to create light and wouldn't have forgotten to turn them off as the cost would have been too high. Maybe we're learning something of that um, in the current cost of living crisis. But light gave warmth, security, 
and allowed for life indoors. So when Jesus used these symbols in his sermon, the people would have realized the significance of what he was saying straight away. They knew that he was telling them that they had to be present to and with others. That he was telling them that they were critical to the world around them. And it's still the same for us. We need to be equally as present to and with others because we are equally as critical to the world today. What does this mean for us, though? It means that being salt and light should be foundational, sorry, to who we are. Our desire to be salt and light, our desire to see ourselves as positive change agents, should flow out of who we are in God. We are his children. It's a way of being that gives others a glimpse of the kingdom, drawing them in to want to know more. But I guess the flip side of that is that if we're not doing it, we can be people who are actually pushing others away from God. And I think that's a challenge this morning, isn't it? People watch us, people listen to us in terms of how we speak to others and, and speak even about ourselves maybe or about others. Are we people? Am I someone who is bringing people towards God? It's the kingdom manifesto. We're told to be these So I guess this morning, I'd love you, just as I share a little bit about what TLG does, I'd really love you to think about these questions and take these away into your week ahead. How can we be salt and light? I'm going to give you one way, but there's lots of ways. How can we be a presence that makes life flavorful, flavorful sorry, for others? How can we be a presence that brings warmth, security, and welcome? How can we be a presence that draws people to seek after the king? Rather than pushing them away. Mother Teresa once said, never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. As I kind of prepared this, <laughs> I got that sense of overwhelm. That message of being salt and light can be overwhelming. It might feel like this task is too great because there's so much need in the world. There's so much need globally. We don't quite know the words to respond to certain situations. There's so much need on our doorstep. My husband teaches in this school. Uh, my kids go to this school. My husband works as part of the behaviour support team. And the kids on his caseload, if I told you some of the stories that young people within a one-mile radius of this building are experiencing, I think it would actually make you weep. 
the need is great, but as salt and light, as that mycelium, we can be bringers of change. I love what Mother Teresa has said, start with the person nearest you. In other words, start with one. I don't want anyone to leave this morning feeling overwhelmed. (laughs) I want you to take that message of start with one away with you. Whether that is the person that you frequently see on the bus (laughs) or the train (laughs) as you um, travel to work, whether that's the person that you share in an office with, whether that is one of your kids, and, and one of my kids is the person that I really feel like God is has laid on my heart to be salt and light to in a much more tangible and real way. So just think about who that one is this morning. But we should see this call to action from Jesus as less about us bringing about change in the world in a global context and more about seeing change in our world, the context in which we find ourselves, our part of the bigger picture. So we're called to be salt and light. TLG, Transforming Lives for Good, is a charity that has existed for nearly 25 years, but I bet you most people in this room have never heard of them. (laughs) But yeah, we're 25 years old next year, 2024. And Transforming Lives for Good was birthed um, as an organization by um, trying to combat um, school exclusion rates um, and school refusers, basically. But as part of that, um, early intervention was birthed. Early intervention is a mentoring or a coaching program whereby we seek as an organization to partner with churches all across the UK um, to equip and train ordinary people to stand in the gap for a young person, to bring light into the life of a young person. Current statistics in Scotland, and I'm sure that many of you will not be surprised by these, you will probably know them, but it's believed that 50% of mental health difficulties will be established by the age of 14. 14. We live in a time when we hear much about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and their long-term effects. But there's good news. We can be part of bringing about positive childhood experiences for young people, helping to establish a sense of belonging and connection. In all the research around positive childhood experiences that we definitely hear less of than the ACEs, it's been found that a positive relationship with at least one non-parent adult who takes genuine interest in you can be one of the most vital relationships to enable healing effects, helping to establish trust, build resilience, even when life is difficult. That one. And so as an organization, we partner, as I said, with churches. We've got 130 churches across the UK. Ordinary people with a heart to bring light and see hope restored in a practical way for young people. But TLG's vision is big. By 2025, which isn't that long away, we hope to see 10,000 children and their families supported through the local church in action. 
What does coaching look like? It's one coach with one child for one hour a week during the school term. It's a place to show up and demonstrate consistency. It's a place where hopefully we can see in 10 years time those statistics have been turned around that actually mental health challenges are not established by the age of 14. That's the dream. I'm gonna show you a video of Mason. Mason is a little boy from Dundee, and one of our partner churches there. Um, his coach, Beth, is one of the most incredible women I've ever met. She's a granny, she's a heart to just see <laughs> young people understand you know, their potential and who they are. And she, has, she actually coached and worked with um, Mason for a little bit more than a year, but she has built a really ongoing, lasting relationship with Mason and with his granny. And they, as a family, actually now connect in with the wider life of the Churchill Bank. Um, not necessarily there on a Sunday, but they're part of their weekly groups. Mason goes along to their kind of weekly um, youth activities and things as well. So I'll let you watch this film. When every time we left the house, um, you'd like um, tell us to come in the room um, and we'd have a wee sweetie and then leave the door for school. He was actually quite joyful. I felt like I couldn't catch anymore, I would just burst. Um, into smithereens. So I don't know what to do, what to say, and then it all comes up to muddled. Felt very upset, couldn't feel anything else than just horrified that I was getting called names. I can get some, like, so much frustration, I like kind of take it out on other things. If one of my friends were annoying me, um, I would like get annoyed and um, I couldn't cope with it. Yeah, sometimes I can like um, put them, like shoving them on the ground and stuff. He'd been flagged up by school um, as having aggressive, aggressive tendencies and anxiety. Um, and so they were actually concerned that he may drop out of education. So I think TLG just happened at the right time for Mason. Since I've had Beth, she's been a star to me. She's very fun and I like her a lot. Um, she does lots of things with me. Beth got me an origami book, so we tend to like do some origami and then she asks some questions and we talk about my anger and how I can deal with it. When Beth says, you know what to do when um, you get angry, you like walk away, count to ten, all those stuff that you can do to ignore the situation that's going on. But one day he had said uh, he couldn't remember his times tables, he was having problems, everybody else was managing it. So I got some maths flashcards and you know, the next week he came in and he said, he got all his 
times table, seven times table, right? You know, these are, these don't seem much to us, but they're huge, huge to kids. I've changed a lot. It makes me feel good and feel who I really am. I am funny sometimes. I'm generous. I could help if someone needs help. Thank you. Love that little film of Mason, but Mason represents so many children and young people who just need someone like Beth to come alongside them. So that's one way in which you could be salt and light. <laughs> um, we have a partnership with a church in Sterling, and we are hoping to grow that team of coaches um, and grow the impact that early intervention can have in other schools across um, Sterling. This the center of Sterling, if you like. Um, so if you this morning feel like that's something that you would love to be involved in, please do come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to take your details and, and we can kind of follow up how you would be trained and what that could look like. But I know that some of you this morning will be thinking, I can't do that. First of all, I want to encourage you that you can. <laughs> Some of you might think, oh, I work full time, I can't. Some employers are actually really willing to give um, time off for social action. Um, it's part of a lot of um, companies' um, kind of manifestos now. Um, so please don't, don't see that as a barrier. Speak to your employer. It might be something that you could get involved in. But I do think this morning that there are people that God's putting on each of our hearts. So just as we come in to finish, Albus Dumbledore and, you know, the Harry Potter series, <laughs> just to go to something really biblical. Albus Dumbledore once said, happiness can always be found even in the darkest of times if only one remembers to turn on the light. Who can you turn the light on for? Who within your community, within your sphere of influence, needs that light turned on for them today, this week, over this winter season? Being salt and light should come from a place of love. The love that God has had for us in sending his son to make that great sacrifice for us so that we could have our hope restored in him, our relationship restored in him. I just want to finish by reading verse Corinthians 13. Verses 1 to 7 and then verse 13 as well. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not pride. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So just as we finish, I want to encourage you to be both today, this week, (laughs) to be both salt and light, even in our homes when it's sometimes the hardest. I shared with you that one of my kids has been definitely who God has placed in my heart, and it's my boy, my middle one. Um, And this week, even in the last kind of three days, it's felt like prayers and and breakthrough starts to come in little, small glimmers. Hold on to those glimmers. It's not going to be necessarily big things overnight. But let's persevere in our prayers, in our showing up for those people that God has called us to turn the light on for. So just as we come to an end, as I had in for to Sally, I just want you to think, could you maybe come and be involved in being a coach and actually literally stand in the gap with a child or a young person? Who is it in your sphere of influence that God is saying to you, you need to show up intentionally for them? You need to be more persistent in praying for them. Who is it today that God is saying, turn the light on for them, restore their hope? And going back to that picture of the mycelium under the surface. When all of that mycelium works, it's a positive force for change, for good, to overcome toxins. Are we each taking our part seriously in that as God's positive change agents? Thanks for listening to the Stirling Vineyard Sunday podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, please visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk or find us on social media at Sterling Vineyard Church.